St. Augustine summarizes it so beautifully. He says, if you can understand it, it's not God. Like that's how far and above God is, above our ways, above our understanding, beyond our capacity to know what it means to love. God is even more so love. Okay, so hear me out. I know this might sound crazy or like a conspiracy theory, like birds aren't real or something, but I'm becoming increasingly convinced that you cannot trust trees. They just seem so shady. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 148. I hope you enjoyed that dad joke, brought a smile to your face. If not, uh, that's okay too. But uh, welcome and we're so glad that you're here. Please, if you have not yet done so, rate and review this podcast, especially if it's your first time listening. It helps other people find it. Please feel free to share this episode with others you think may benefit. And the best way to do that is to tell them personally or to share this on social media. And if you do, please tag us on Instagram at Man of Food for Thought. And you can find all of our other social media handles as well as all of our other content on our website, manafoodforthought.com. You can email us there as well, manafoodforthought at gmail.com is our email. And while you're at the website, click on the Patreon tab and you can become a financial sponsor of this podcast for as little as $1 a month because it does cost money for the hosting and the um, all the behind the scenes and equipment for this podcast. So we're very grateful to all of our patrons. Thank you. And thank you all for your prayers as I continue to pray for you. It's a blessing to be with you. Once again, let's get into our joy, junk, and Jesus. So a lot of joy this week. Uh, I was able to take my daughter with her best friend, Addie, and her mom, my former co-host, Jenna. Uh, the four of us went to see Frozen at Seagerstrom, and the girls loved it. They were just so excited to see that play. They kept calling it a movie. They didn't really understand it was like a play or a musical, but uh, it was really great. There was hundreds of little girls dressed up like Elsa, and every time things happened in this musical, even though these girls have probably seen this movie a thousand times, it was just like overwhelming cheers or gasps like from the whole audience. It was like the most like interactive audience I've ever like been a part of. So that was great. Um, got to have a date night with my wife this week, uh, which was really wonderful. And um, yeah, just things are, are going good. Junk. I went to the dentist this morning. Uh, and man, this there's one particular person at the dentist who's great. He We always get to talk about Jesus, which I love because uh, he's a believer as well, but he just digs into my teeth. Like he is searching for treasure. It's just, and so he like stabbed me in my gums a couple times this morning and apologized of course, but it's just like, dude, like maybe we need to back up a little bit. So my teeth are a little uh, hurt, but that's okay. Uh, my Jesus moment though was um, this past week, I think I told you I recorded an episode in advance because we had a staff day of prayer all together. And um, long story short, it was a wonderful day. Did not go at all as expected or planned. Some pretty crazy things happened while we were there, uh, unexpected things. But um, it was really still wonderful to be together and to kind of see that God works in his own way and in his own time and still can bring grace and beauty um, if we are willing to kind of surrender control. And so... That kind of has to do with what I want to talk about uh, in this episode, which uh, is in line with our second reading. As always, we read the second reading for this upcoming Sunday, which is from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. A reminder, Paul is writing to this community in Corinth where he lived for several years. 
Um, they mean a lot to him. Corinth was a uh, trade and cultural and religious epicenter, a huge melting pot of all these different peoples. And it was um, a very uh, central place for pagan religious practices, a lot of immoral uh, pagan and, and uh, cultish religious practices, uh, a lot of sexual immorality. And so it's often uh, compared to Las Vegas of its time, but way worse. So uh, Paul is trying to teach these people how to be Christian in the midst of this cra craziness in this community. And so uh, this is what he says to them in our reading this week. First Corinthians chapter two, verses six through 10. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, we speak a wisdom to those who are mature, not a wisdom of this age, nor of rulers of this age who are passing away. Rather, we speak God's wisdom, mysterious, hidden, which God predetermined before the ages for our glory and which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what eye has not seen and ear has not heard and what has not entered the human heart, what God has prepared for those who love him. This God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit scrutinizes everything, even the depths of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, what strikes me in this passage might be different than what strikes you, uh, but are some key phrases here when Paul talks about, like, we speak a wisdom to those who are mature, not a wisdom of this age not a wisdom of this age, that God's wisdom is mysterious, it's hidden, and if we had known it, if the rulers of this age had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And what struck me in that is just being reminded of how far above our minds and thoughts God is. You know, Isaiah 55 uh, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And it reminded me of this uh, quote from St. Augustine that's in, a in the Catechism on the uh, doctrines of the Trinity. And, you know, it, we can do all that we can to explain the Trinity. But St. Augustine summarizes it so beautifully. He says, if you can understand it, it's not God. Like, that's how far and above God is, above our ways, above our understanding, beyond our capacity to know what it means to love. God is even more so love. Beyond our capacity and understanding to know his mercy and forgiveness, God is even more merciful and more forgiving. Uh, and so it just reminded me, like, you know, of course, there's a God. Of course there's a God. But I'm not him. And all of the ways that I wrestle for control in my life, all the ways I seek to understand, unless they are rooted in a desire for deeper intimacy and friendship with God, then they are probably rooted in a desire to control or know things. So it's easier to trust. It's easier to make a decision because I somehow have like the inside track or inner knowledge. And that's, that's getting closer to the heresy of Gnosticism. Um, you know, that there's this kind of like secret knowledge for those who come to the Lord that others do not know about. And that's just simply not true. It's the gap between the smartest person on earth and like the, the mind of God is so vast that it is, is incomparable. Um, in Job, in the book of Job, and you may know, know the story of Job, Job has all these awful things happen to him, begins to question the Lord. It's basically a biblical story about why do bad things happen to good people. And Job in chapter 11 um, I think he's, he's, um, one of his friends is there trying to, um, like debating with him about the, this desire to 
come up against God and, and bring his complaints to him and think like God has done something unjust, his friend says, uh, can you find out the depths of God or find out the perfection of the Almighty? Is it higher than the heavens? What, what can you do? Is it, it is deeper than Sheol. What can you know? It is longer than the earth in measure and broader than the sea. Like that is like the depths of God, that he is so far beyond our understanding, so mysterious to us. And there, the things that we can know, we can only know because of God. I've talked about this before, but, you know, um, in, in the ways that we know or kind of the, the ways things have been revealed to us, there are different kinds of law in, in the order of creation. And so there's natural law, there's human law, which has like judicial law in there. There's divine law and there's eternal law. Natural law is what we know from creation, natural order. We can infer certain things about natural law based on the way that God created the world. So we can infer that there's a creator. We don't need that to be told to us or revealed to us. That's why so many civilizations, virtually all of human history, um, knew that there was something that did all of this. And yes, they came up with their own conceptions because they couldn't you know, get all of the details without God revealing them. But they knew inherently from creation and from the natural order that there was some kind of intelligent designer. So that's natural law. Human law is what we know based on like human dignity. Like you could call this like objective morality. Like we all inherently know that we should not murder people. We should not attack them. We should treat the body with dignity. We should treat others with with kindness. And when, when people don't do that, we know that there's something disordered about that. No one has to teach us that or tell us that. We inherently know there's something wrong with that. And so as part of that, we have in a secular sense, like judicial law, we make certain judicial laws throughout time to help reflect uh, that human law, that, that objective morality that we know. So the example I use, I've used this several times in the past week. So forgive me if you, uh, if you know me and you've heard this like for the third time now is, um, is speeding. If you're driving, uh, you know inherently that there's a speed that is just too fast eventually. Um, you don't need anything to tell you that, anyone to tell you that. There's, there's a moral law within you that tells you I should not drive to the point where I'm putting myself or others in danger or being reckless. Now, a judicial law, so that's human law. A judicial law would then be what we do as a society and say, okay, on this street, there's a 45 mile per hour speed limit. However, if that speed limit wasn't there, you would still know that there's something inherently right or wrong about speeding. So that's kind of the difference, that we, we make societal laws and judicial laws based on what we know from human law. And then uh, also some things are revealed to us by God, and that is divine law. These are the things like the Trinity. We could not possibly know or arrive at the Trinity without God revealing himself to us in that way. Uh, so there's certain things that God revealed so that we would come to know him as he is. That's divine law. And then there's what's called eternal law, and that is the fullness of knowledge and, and truth that is known only to God, that we will never know or that we may only know uh, some part of in heaven. And so just, I don't know, think about that trajectory, that kind of pyramid, if you will, of law and how often we are just kind of leaping toward the top and seeking to understand and seeking to grasp control and get our, our teeth or our hands into you know, what it is that makes God work and how to understand him so that it's easier to trust him. And I mean, the equivalent of this would be like, you know, if you fall in love with someone and you're just not sure if they're like the one, strapping them to a lie detector test, reading, like looking up all of their private emails and history, 
everything they've ever said or done, interviewing everything in their life, going through their trash, going through all the public record and private files that you can find, and you know, doing this lie detector test to see to try and control all the information and know definitively, can I trust this person or not? And it becomes clear in that analogy that is not a real loving relationship, right? And it's clear like that we're not the person who's meant to be in the driver's seat when it comes to our relationship with God. That some things are meant to remain a mystery for us and some things are meant to be revealed. But even in that, we will not know everything. Like God is far above us, that he is a mystery to behold, not a, a, um, a problem to be solved or a, a, a question to be fully answered. And yes, I'm not trying to, to say here that you just have blind faith and you don't ask questions. No, ask questions and get the answers you can, but recognize that's only going to take you so far. In the same way, like a couple dates, they can ask each other a bunch of questions and get to know each other when they date. But still, when they make their vows, they are making them in trust and saying like, I trust that I know you now, but I also am trusting in the future that you will continue to be faithful. And I have no way of knowing that or controlling that unless you want to be some kind of dictator in your relationship, you know, chaining your spouse to a chair and making sure they don't, which obviously is not loving. Uh, and we have, I think, that same desire in God. We want to chain God or put him in a box or look at him from every angle, understand every viewpoint before we're really willing to surrender, if we ever do in the first place. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, the disciples approach Jesus and they say, you know, why do you speak to people in parables? I believe this is right after the parable of the sower and the seed. And Jesus says to them, because knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been granted to you, but to them it has not been granted. Like Jesus is admitting here, like there are some things that are meant to be revealed to some people and not to others, or at least not yet. And yet God knows the whole picture. We don't get to see the whole picture. So this is like doing a puzzle without having the box. Like if you were given a puzzle and it's like, okay, gun to your head, life or death situation, you have to solve this puzzle, but you do not get the box. You do not know what the picture is that you are doing, uh, that you are making. Uh, how do you, how do you do this? Well, if you've ever done a puzzle, you know, the first thing you do, you find the corners and you connect them with the border and then you separate different colors. Or even if you had to turn the puzzle upside down, you could separate different shapes and then you could begin to just try to puzzle this piece, this puzzle together. And that really, I think, is true in our own spiritual life. Like we can't fall into scrupulosity and get so obsessed with like, what's the picture? What's the image? Or looking at one piece, like, where does this piece go? Where does this piece go? And not recognizing like there's a trajectory to this. Like the point of this is to solve the puzzle. The point of the spiritual life is to get to heaven and to be a saint. It's not about figuring out every little nuanced thing you can about the piece that's right in front of you in this moment. And sometimes the holiest thing that you can do is let go of that. And just allow yourself to be free to pursue the greater mission, the greater purpose, to solve the puzzle and go about a different way of seeing the next step. I've shared that prayer before that my spiritual director shared with me. Lord, give me enough light to see the next step. And things like scrupulosity, anxiety, worry, they come when we're trying to see all of the steps at once. We have an end goal in mind, whether that's God's will or not, we kind of have it in our mind. And we're trying to see the exact trajectory and learn everything that we can so there's less risk, there's less uh, need to surrender or to trust that things are going to work out and to try and assume as much control o over everything as possible. So we're protected and we're not as worried if things fall apart. It's kind of part of our survival instinct as, as a species, how that's modernized. And yet it's completely antithetical to the way in which we're meant to follow Jesus. And so I like this analogy of a puzzle. And when you think about those steps, 
I want to anchor them to different spiritual things. So let's say you're solving this puzzle. The first thing you do is find the corners. Well, what are the corners of the spiritual life? They're these anchors, these things that uh, are the most important that help guide everything else. And, uh, you know, you have these four corners of a puzzle. I would say the four corners of the spiritual life are the sacraments, making sure that you are frequenting the sacraments, um, avoiding the near occasion of sin, having some kind of accountability and community, and daily prayer. I think those corners, those are the things that we do. And those are the things that really we are offered when we have a retreat experience, when we're being invited to encounter with Jesus, we're, we're kind of getting away from the hustle, bustle, and busyness of life. We're being drawn into a community who is journeying together. We're away from things that cause us to sin. And we have time together in prayer and attending the sacraments and, and, being, and receiving the sacraments. And so I really think those are like the four kind of corners of the puzzle. And then in the connecting them, it's simply about anchoring them to your life. Like all the other things that make up the primary responsibilities in your life, how can you connect those things to those four corners? Drawing the sacraments into your experience of the week, making sure daily mass or especially Sunday mass is on your schedule and you're doing that as a family. You're unpacking it or preparing for it together on your own or together throughout the week as a family or a group of friends, whatever that may be. Reading the readings, attending a Bible study, uh, praying together, having your own kind of maybe small group or community or accountability where you talk about things of the faith and you keep each other accountable for sin. And then you avoid the people, places, and things that lead you to sin and you root them out. I mean, Lent is coming up, a great opportunity as always to think about how do I want to be different Easter morning? What do I want rooted out of my life to be less attached to Easter morning? And let that be the way that I go into Lent. And so we find those four corners. We still have to connect them to each other and provide this frame for our life that incorporates all those other important pieces. Family, work, responsibilities, school, friendships, whatever the Lord is calling you to at this moment in your life. And then we kind of separate all the colors and the pieces and make piles. And the word discernment really literally means to separate apart. And it's about prioritizing, like, okay, how do I organize the things in my life, prioritize things in such a way where I can see more clearly, and I can begin to take some steps in these directions I think the Lord might be calling me to. And that might be discerning your vocation. It might be, um, you know, taking the next step in uh, your career or uh, developing or using the gifts that God has given you for, the, for his glory to build the kingdom. It might be seeking more formation for your faith, uh, you know, whatever it might be. We're separating those things into piles and priorities and trying to piece them. And then that's what we do. We try to piece it together one step at a time, one step, one piece at a time. Lord, give me enough light to see the next step. We can't expect ourselves to solve the whole puzzle at once. We know a puzzle is one piece at a time. So we find the frame anchored by those four important corners and everything else seeks to fit into that. And when we discern, when we separate apart, we can learn what is the next logical step. Oh, well, that part of the border has some blue in it. Let me look over in this blue pile. These are the obvious next steps that I might take if I pursue this and this, this faith, this relationship with Jesus Christ where I feel he's calling me if I pursue this, uh, this next step further. And so don't fall into despair or hopelessness or scrupulosity. Uh, see the piece as part of the puzzle. Don't get hung up on a single one. Or be like, oh, I'm never going to finish this puzzle. All I have is the border. It's just like, well, yeah, if you're, if you're thinking about the whole picture that you can't see, then yeah, that's going to be frustrating. But if you just have the patience, the surrender, and the trust to pray that prayer, honestly, Lord, give me enough light to see the next step, you're slowly going to piece together a life that reveals the whole picture. 
and that will make that whole picture come into view. But if you want to see, if you're trying to squint and look at the pieces before they're assembled and get really frustrated and anxious and upset that you can't see it yet and other people seem like they're, they've got their whole puzzle together or they're further ahead than you, don't pay attention to any of that. Because God can see the whole picture of your life. And God is for your good. He knows you. He loves you. Even before you were in the, in the womb, he consecrated you. He called you. And so all of those things, all of those truths do not go away. They do not pass away. God is always seeking to make things new and beautiful in your life. And so trust that. Trust that he knows what he is doing. That we do not have a greater intellect or ability to uh, kind of have the plans for our life figured out than the Lord does. Trust that he means what he says when he says, I know well the plans I have for you. Plans for your welfare, not for your woes, so that you will have a future filled with hope. He knows the full picture. And he knows every single piece. But all we need to do is have faith that if we trust and, and ask him for enough light to see the next step, piece by piece, we will slowly get there. God is a God that is... And God is a God that has a wisdom not of this age, that is mysterious, that's hidden. And if we knew the fullness of that wisdom, we would not jump to so many mistakes uh, as we often do. If we trusted, if we were obedient, if we truly surrendered and we allowed ourselves to patiently, one piece at a time, work our way towards sainthood, toward heaven with his help, then eventually that picture will come into view. That is all I have for you this week, my brothers and sisters. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. If this episode was a benefit to you, please let us know. Please share it with a friend. But until next time, we'll see you in the Eucharist. God bless.